Welcome to the Sports Innovation Podcast, presented by the IUPUI Sports Innovation Institute, located right here in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Sherman, a full-time faculty member within the Sport Management Program here at IUPUI and a professional sports statistician here in Indianapolis. The Sports Innovation Podcast is designed to highlight innovative practitioners and scholars throughout sport and education to learn new and thought-provoking ways to improve our industry together. Thank you for listening to the Sports Innovation Podcast. Welcome to the Sports Innovation Podcast, presented by the IUPUI Sports Innovation Institute. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Sherman. Joining me here today, I've got a a star-studded lineup here today, so I'm looking forward to this one, uh, is Dr. Wade Gilbert. He's a professor in the Department of Kinesiology at Fresno State University. I've got Mike Mossbrucker, the Director of Athletics at Mooresville High School here just outside Indianapolis. And, of course, I've brought back Dr. David Pierce, our Director, the Sports, the Sports Innovation Institute's Director. Uh, he's also a Professor of Sport Management in my school, the School of Health and Human Sciences at IUPUI. Today, these guys will join me to discuss their research that they conducted in partnership with what's called the Center for Sports Transformation, a not-for-profit located here in Indianapolis. Gentlemen, tell me a little bit about yourself. Wade, talk a little bit about who you are, what you do. Well, thanks for having me on the program, Jeff. It's great to see you, and great to see you, Mike and and David. Um, So I I work at Fresno State. I'm a professor uh, in the Department of Kinesiology. I'm also the graduate program coordinator. I've worked in sport uh, science and sport education and coaching for almost 30 years uh, from little kids, coaching little kids and working with coaches in community sport all the way through to Olympic and national teams and pro teams all over the world, uh, including coaching at the Olympics in Tokyo 2021. Um, And I spent a lot of my time outside of teaching, uh, working with schools, school districts, coaches, clubs, uh, basically on program development and, and quality coaching. Awesome. I love to hear that. I love to hear people's stories. That's my favorite part is I love to hear people's stories about what they're doing and where they're at. Mike, talk to me a little bit about who you are and a little bit about Mooresville. Sure. Uh, well, um, I uh, grew up in Bloomington. I was a three-sport athlete at Bloomington North High School, played football, uh, wrestled, and played baseball. Went to Indiana University, uh, where I wrestled a little bit. Uh, graduated, uh, came to work here at Mooresville in 1982. Um, I, I coached baseball, uh, football, and wrestling here during my coaching days. Um, I got out of coaching and became an athletic director in the uh, late 90s. Uh, I've been an athletic director for 27 years now. So I'm working on this will be my 27th year. So uh, through that, I, I've been heavily involved in, uh, in our state organization, um, the IIAA. I'm an NIAAA uh, national board member. Um, I've done a lot of work with the IHSAA in, in many capacities. We host a lot of IHSA events. And we're fortunate enough here at Mooresville to have uh, some really great leadership. We've, we've built some great facilities. Uh, we have great kids, a great community that's very supportive. 
of our school and our school corporation and our athletes. And so uh, we're really blessed to be part of this process. And, and I want to thank David and his staff and certainly the, uh, uh, the center uh, for including Mooresville, making us their first uh, school. So it's been a great opportunity for us. Well, and I will add to that that they have the best hospitality ever at football games for a high school. I, I will say <laughs> that. I, I, I will I will add that in there. Dave, you want to tell me a little bit about yourself? Yep. So uh, thanks for having me back on, Jeff. I'm the director of the Sports Innovation Institute here at IUPUI. And uh, in that role, I get to work with all kinds of different uh, organizations and also with students uh, solving thorny, complex uh, problems in sport and getting to innovate in those spaces. And certainly anyone that's spent any time in youth sports knows if you just turn your head a little bit one direction or the other, you're going to bump into a problem that needs to be solved in youth sports. So this has really provided a a creative uh, outlet working with the Center for Sports Transformation to, I think, do some really um, impactful things to improve um, families, parents, and kids' experiences participating in what is such an important activity in youth sports. Well, that was a lot, Dave. That was a lot more than I was anticipating. That's awesome, though. So what we're talking about today is a research study that they conducted that, that Wade and, and Dave and Mike and, and a few other people from across Indianapolis as part of the CST, they, they, they worked on this research project. And I'm going to start with you, Wade, real quick. Um, actually, it doesn't have to be real quick. You can go on and on if you'd like. I'm going to go real quick. Um, so Dave was just saying that the research was sparked by a problem in youth sports, right? So a couple of pieces to this question. What is that problem, right? What have you centralized as the problem? And why is it important that sport leaders attempt to solve it? Sure. Thanks, Jeff. So maybe just off the top, I'll say, you know, I, I wouldn't really think of the Mooresville experience as a research project. Uh, we do applied research. We want to be evidence-based. We want to make informed decisions, evidence-based decisions. Um, so really what we we're doing with Mooresville is it's a, it's a collaborative, it's a partnership. Um, you could maybe call it an applied research partnership, but I see it more as, as a community partnership We're we're all working together to try and figure out ways to make this a better experience for everyone involved in sport. <clears throat> and so there is a research component to it, but it, it's, to me, it's much bigger than, than a research project. Um, so we've all collectively had experiences and I'm sure anyone listening to this will have had some experience with youth sport. And I would, having been involved in it in my entire life, you know, basically I got a picture of my dad and I on the driving range. <clears throat> my dad was really into golf. I think I was two standing between his legs and he's holding the driver and I'm trying to, you know, so everyone, I, I can't think of any other experience in you know north american society let's say in the u.s um that has been shared by virtually everyone uh, everyone has had some exposure or experience in youth sport whether that's as a participant a parent a grandparent a relative watching an official an administrator you know on and on and on so i would think more so than probably any other activity across American society, youth sport is a, is a common space that everyone passes through at some point. 
And so it has this tremendous potential to be a real unifier, a real, even like, I, I think much broader than building a great baseball player or an NBA, you know, someone wants to go to college and get a scholarship or whatever it might be. This is an experience. This is how we're approaching it. You know, this, this is a, a common un, potentially unifying experience within and across communities across the nation. So if we can get this right and make it a quality experience that brings people together, um, people enjoy it, people, you know, feel more confident and a sense of belonging to their community. And this could be a real game changer you know, for our society. And it, it hasn't, I don't think we've ever gotten it right, to be honest with you. So if you look at the evolution of sport and organized youth sport, it's fairly recent phenomenon. Um, and especially in the form that we see now with elite clubs and travel club. I was just in Anaheim last week for a big high school water polo tournament and I was staying at an embassy suites. <laughs> see if we can get a sponsorship deal here. An embassy suites. And there was it was all tournaments, right? So the whole hotel was filled. You go down for breakfast. Everybody's got either a basketball camp shirt, a softball uniform on, going to water polo game. So this entire complex is filled with families. And the reason they're there is sport, youth sport. And unfortunately, what we see is I also noticed that 90% of the kids wearing these t-shirts had some version of elite written across their shirt, right? Elite camp, you know, star camp, select camp. And so this activity that was originally designed to be integrated into schools, right? So as part of the school curriculum, as developing healthy young people, well-rounded people, physical, mental, social, emotional, has been hijacked in some sense by for-profit interests to essentially use kids and use sport as a way to make a lot of money. And I'm not against making money in for-profit enterprises and, and, and that's fine. But unfortunately it's, it's really turned into, well, by some estimates, I think Time Magazine did a report on this uh, a couple of years ago. You know, the youth sport industry is is the largest sport industry in the United States. It, its valuation is greater than the NFL. So we're talking $20 billion <laughs> as an estimate, right? So it's big business. So this activity that was initially designed for kids for development, holistic development, physical and health and act, you know, open access. And a lot of, originally you saw a lot of this in schools and rec community rec programs and things like that, right? And kids playing locally. So they, they go to the park or the community center and they play with other kids in their community. And you still get the, the, that in small towns. And there's some neat research kind of related to that too, but we're now, your kid, have, if they're interested in a sport, at a very young age, they have to go all in. And they have to commit to year-round soccer or year-round baseball. And then you got summer camps and winter camps and you know preseason, in-season, off-season. So our kids, 
at a very young age get pulled into this system that's driven by for-profit groups that and uh, clubs that need parents to continue to write checks year-round, even though it's not healthy for our kids, we know this, to play year-round baseball. If I'm running the baseball facility, I need income year-round. I still got lights and heat and insurance to pay. So I need those kids, parents writing checks all year-round, even though every major league sport in the world has an off-season. We don't have an off-season for kids in youth sport. So part of what we see, there's a, a lot of, it's a complex issue, but what we're seeing is families getting pulled into this system and parents wanting to do what they feel is best for their kids. They want their kids to have opportunities. They want their kids to have potential chances to, you know, make a varsity team in high school. If you want to play varsity high school in most large schools, you got to be playing year round and on club teams just to make your high school team. Uh, so there's this pressure on families to kind of keep up. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of families get priced out, you know, for a lot of sports now, it's not uncommon. I coached ice hockey for a long time here. My son played ice hockey and my son, my kids are playing water polo now and I've coached soccer and baseball. And so I've seen it from all different angles. You know, it's not uncommon to spend 10 to 15, maybe $20,000 if your kid's year-round in soccer or water polo or hockey. And then if you have three or four kids in your family and you're doing that for eight to 10 years, I mean, do the math, right? So a lot of families get priced out and kids don't have the opportunity to play. And our community groups, unfortunately, like the rec sport in the communities, a lot of com that's dropped away, fallen away in many cases. So then these kids have no opportunity to continue to play in sport. And then now they can't make their, <laughs> they can't play at school because they can't make their teams. A lot of the, you know, teams have limited rosters and you got high schools of, you know, 1,500, 2,000 kids and you got one varsity team. Um, so it's hard for those kids to stay involved. So we're losing a lot of kids and naturally kids around 15, 14, 15, 16, they're going to find their, their voice and they're going to self-select. Maybe a kid likes music more than soccer. That's great. It's fine. But unfortunately we're, we've created a system that ha is excluding a lot of kids that would love to keep playing and a lot of families that would love to see their kids still involved. And that fractures communities because now those families that used to see each other on Saturdays or go to events together, it's not just the kid quitting, the family quits, right? So you lose your social connection, not only to their friends, but to your community through, through sport. So sport has a great, youth sport has a, a tremendous potential to be a great unifier and a very healthy experience, not just for a kid learning to become a better soccer player, but for families and communities. And unfortunately we have the system now that's unregulated. So we could go start a soccer league tomorrow if we want. I mean, there's, there's the wild west and the, a lot of kids and a lot of families are getting left behind. So I want you to expand on something here. So you're talking about the, kind of the club model versus the community model. And this research 
is or as you call it, a collaborative a collaborative effort right collaborative you know i guess collaborative effort for change right so I like that so yeah. you're 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 trying to accomplish this and what do you what is, what is it that you're trying to i guess change right uh, you mentioned the fact that the system is the main issue that's the problem right the the way the system is set up but how are you trying to do that without revamping the system does that make sense yeah and and david and mike will speak to this uh directly too but it's it's not an either or it, it's not club or school or rec or faith-based it, it, it's all of it there's a place for all of it there's going to be kids and families that want to go the distance and play year-round and go to special camps and their kids are on that trajectory they want to make a national team they love it what awesome great but that's a very small percentage of, of kids, right? But there needs to be a place for that. So what we're, the solution, the vision, the dream, I guess, is people working together in these communities so that with the best interest of the kids, not their bottom line, not their club, <laughs> our kids in our community. So very simple way to think about it but it's very hard to put into action because of everyone's you know personal interest but and this is what we've been doing in, uh, in mooresville if you can start by bringing people in that community together so that they can have conversations around the the purpose and the goals and a shared vision for sport in our community so we're not fighting for kids and we're not holding camps at the same weekend and forcing kids. It happens all the time, right? We're going to have tryouts and we're going to have them on the same day or same weekend as some other club. So we're going to, we're forcing families to decide, is it us or them? You know what? We're going to work together and the kids will have opportunities to go do this tryout. And they'll also, they love volleyball too. They also can go and play volleyball because we're not going to force them to make a decision. It's baseball or volleyball at 10 years old. They love both and their friends are playing both. Let's work together as a community so we can at least make an effort to create a community sport system that has space and a place for all our kids to, to really develop and have opportunity and for us to work together and to share. So for example, you know, a very simple example, even coaches in the same club or same league, sorry, same league, um, they rarely will talk to each other to share. Sometimes they do, but often they view each other as opponents, right? And they don't necessarily work together. So, for example, in a baseball league, if there's a coach on one club and one team who is a former, you know, very good pitcher, a former high-level pitcher, played in college or something. So the kids who play for that coach are going to probably get a lot of pretty good instruction on pitching. But the rest of the kids in the league, maybe it's volunteer moms and dads helping, they're doing the best they can, but they don't have that expertise. Why shouldn't every kid, if it's really about our kids and building our kids, why couldn't we have a couple of joint sessions where that expert pitching coach can go around and give a few sessions to the other kids? Yeah, that means those kids are gonna get better too and maybe they beat my team on Saturday, but who cares? <laughs> it's, it's about developing the kids. But unfortunately, in a lot of cases, we we separate, we isolate, 
The only thing we measure, you know, that old saying, what gets measured matters. In many cases, the only thing we measure is the score. That's the only thing that goes up on the website. You know, you got schedule and score, right? And stats. Nothing wrong with stats, Jeff. <laughs> but that's what we measure. So, of course, that's what people are going to focus on. So there's a lot of different ways we could could work at this, but the, the the overriding kind of vision is to get these people communicating, speaking with each other, working with each other, so that we have a community system of sport that is conducive for our kids and our families to have as many opportunities as possible to participate in sport. So, Mike, that bridges me to to my question for you. So, first off, tell me, tell us a little bit about Mooresville, Indiana. I know a lot about Mooresville, Indiana, but tell me a little bit about that. And second, all of the things that Wade just said, right? When you hear that, as a high school athletic director, what does that? What drove you to engage in this collaborative effort, right? So, a little bit about Mooresville and what drove you to engage in this project. Yeah, sure. Well, we, we're uh, a small community in northern Morgan County. We are our closest uh, rivals are Plainfield, who's just, I mean, we share a border. Uh, I can all, someone that's a, a pretty good golfer could probably hit a driver to the, the, the Plainfield School District line uh, from here. Uh not the same would be true for Decatur Central, another really close school that's uh, a big rival for us. And then certainly Martinsville, which is a, a southern Morgan County uh, high school. We're a school of about 1,400 kids. Um, that places us in 4A in football in the state of Indiana. And, and unfortunately, uniquely, it also places us in 4A in all of the other team sports where there's only four classes and so we're in in something like a basketball we're a we're a school of 1400 that is in with schools of uh, 5000 uh, a few years ago our girls basketball team played um, north central in the morning of the regional uh, and north central has 4,000 students. And then in the finals, we played Ben Davis, who has 4,500 students. And we were fortunate enough to win both those games. And, uh, but, but it was a unique group of kids um, coached by our coach, who's a really, really good coach. Um, and uh, we, we were fortunate enough to have an opportunity to win. But, but we're, we're, you know, I, I would say we're not different than a, a lot of schools uh, that would be uh, outside the donut of uh, Marion County. Um, uh, I, I do think we have a great community. Um, I think that we have sport in a good perspective. Um, you know, I, I would like to think that here at our high school that um, – for me, it's important for kids to participate. It's important for kids to have a good experience. Uh, do we want to win? Absolutely, we want to win. Uh, but for me, it's more important about the journey of trying to get there. That, that's, the, that's where we're going to learn the lessons that we're going to carry on when we leave the halls of Mooresville High School. Our, our youth programs, uh, 
work really hard at, at, at their, at their programming, but, but in bringing them together, like we've done, and, and I think we've made some strides. I think people kind of look at each other in the room uh, through some of our meetings and said, you know, we can do a better job for the kids if we'll work to better or work better together. And, and at the end of the day, it's, it, it is about them, the kids. It's not about the adults in the room. It, it's about kids' experience. It's about kids uh, having a positive experience. Certainly, every kid's experience won't be the same. Uh, I can guarantee that because some kids are more talented. They're bigger. They're stronger. They're more aggressive. Who knows what buttons were pushed at a at a young age to create that? But it it happened, and but but that doesn't mean that all kids can't have a good experience. And and, and really, sometimes we miss the boat on kids that maybe aren't the best kids when they're nine years old or ten years old. And, and they what do we call that, shuffled. Dave? Do we call those late bloomers? Don't we call those late bloomers <laughs> in the youth sports world? Late bloomers. Sorry, Mike. I just wanted to say no, that real no, quick. Absolutely. And, and and we honestly we need we need those kids. Those kids are what those kids end up being the difference maker in the depth of good teams. Good teams have depth. Uh, you can't win a baseball game with just nine guys. You can't win a football game with 11. You can't win a basketball game with five. You need depth. You need guys to practice against. You need guys that are going to be able to come in in games and make big plays. You're going to have kids that get hurt. They're going to have to be replaced. You need depth. And uh, so that, that, and that, that's an everyday process. You know, I tell our coaches here at Morrisville High School, I want all of our kids to feel coached every day. I don't want us just coaching the best players on our team. I want all of our kids to feel coached every day. And in doing that, they're going to build relationships with kids that are going to last a lifetime. They're going to make impressions on kids that are going to last a lifetime. And, it, you know, I think for, for me, too, I want our youth programs pulling for each other, pulling for the community of Mooresville. Uh, not every kid's going to be a football player. Not every kid's going to be a basketball player. There are other sport opportunities for those kids that maybe they just don't excel at that they maybe just don't have the skill set necessary to compete at that. But maybe they've got a desire to compete. Maybe they've got skill sets that fit another sport. Our coaches should be looking out for that and steering kids in directions where kids can have some success. And so, you, you know, you overused term, you know, we're one team. You know, I want Mooresville to be one team, one community, and, and I want us all pulling for each other. And I think I've, I think we got a little bit of that buy-in uh, 
in in our meetings and and i think we're moving in the right direction certainly uh we still have work to do we're, we're not a finished product by by any stretch of imagination but i do think we've identified some things that we can do to help grow our programs and grow our community I don't know if I've answered your you question. You have, you have, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to okay. keep going. Hey, listeners, just a quick time out, and we'll get right back to today's episode. The Sports Innovation Journal is currently accepting submissions. If you're seeking a place to publish your innovative ideas and research on the sport industry, then consider submitting your work to the Sports Innovation Journal. The Sports Innovation Journal is an open access journal targeting the practitioners seeking answers to the most common questions and problems in the industry. We're always looking for submissions from researchers who are identifying and studying those questions and problems. If you're interested in publishing your work in or serving as a reviewer for the Sports Innovation Journal, please visit the link in the notes or contact Dr. David Pierce, the editor of the SIJ and director of the IUPUI Sports Innovation Institute at dpierce3 at iupui.edu. That's D-P-I-E-R-C-E-3 at iupui.edu. Now let's get back to today's episode of the Sports Innovation Podcast. So Wade mentioned earlier, right, that something about the club element, right, the club element coming in and uh, the, I'm trying to think of the word, uh, uh, specialization, right, the specialization that's occurring at that young age. How, how do you see this as being impactful with the high school level? Right. Are you seeing kids that and this goes back to what Wade was saying again. Do you see kids that are phenomenal players in a sport, but don't do high school because they can't because they have this commitment to a club? And uh, like Wade said, the checks keep getting doled out. And what's the end goal? Right. Usually. And my guess is a college scholarship of some kind. Right. But the end sure. goal of that now takes them away from high school. Have you run into any of that at Mooresville? Well, as a matter of fact, yes, we have. And and uh, we, we have a young man here in our school, and he is a great kid, great human being. Um, he, he is would be our best soccer player probably on the boys' team. Uh, he's a good basketball player. Uh, he's a really good track runner for us. Um, but he didn't play soccer for us last year. He's not going to play soccer for us this year because he's involved in a club, a high-level club. And um, I, I certainly would only be speculating uh, as to why he's doing that. I, I haven't talked to him or his family about it. I, I, you know, he's made his decision, not my job to – try to pressure him strong arm into, into changing his mind. I want him to be happy. He's a great kid. Uh, but, but he's chosen to do that. Um, and, um, you know, and I, and I certainly wish him the best. I wish him success, but, but, but that, that hurts our team. It hurts our program. Um, and, and, and not just from, uh, uh, his not being there to play for us, but he's a great leader. He's a hard worker. He, I mean, I, I can't say enough good stuff about him. He's a kid that you want the rest of the kids to be hanging around. You know, my, my, when I was growing up, my grandmother told me I would be the average of the five people I hung around the most. 
he's going to raise that average. <laughs> uh, but, but unfortunately, he's chosen to, to not be part of that group. Now, on the flip side, we've got another kid that's playing in the perfect game. He's a baseball player. His name's Hogan Denny. Great kid, great player. He's down in Arizona playing right now. Fortunately for us, he's played three sports up to this year. He's a football player uh, and a basketball player as well. He's one of the best competitors that's ever walked the halls of Mooresville High School. Um, and we're fortunate that he he plays he'll play football for us this fall. He'll probably be our starting quarterback. Um, so so it goes, you know, we, we got it going both ways. We've got kids that are elite athletes that have chosen to only do one and then are, are maybe not their best sport in high school. And then we've got someone who is an elite athlete. He's going to IU on a baseball scholarship, but he still plays football. He played basketball for us this year. I, I don't know if he'll play basketball again next year, but um, he, he would certainly be an impact if he does, but he's a real impact on the football field for us. So uh, it, it goes both ways. And, and what I really hate, and I've instructed our coaches to not be a part of that. If I find out coaches are telling kids to only play their sport, I'll have a difficult conversation with the coach. It's not their career. It's the kid's career. Sure, the kids, sure. Kids should, now, unfortunately, kids sometimes get it in their mind that they're going to concentrate on this. Well, uh, some do. Um, most don't. Um, and, and I really think they lose a competitiveness about it when they're concentrating on one sport. There, there's no substitution for competing on a daily basis, competing for a spot on the team, competing against another community. There, there is no sub, you're not competing in some gym doing drills. Certainly there's obviously a time and a place for that, but competing against someone or some team, no substitute for that. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I would encourage all of our kids to do as many sports as they can. And uh, my, I grew up, I, I played three sports. Can't imagine not playing one of, had a different group of friends for every sport, not the same people. Uh, I probably was one of very few in 1977 when I graduated that played three sports even then. My, I had a son that graduated from here played three sports, had another son, played two sports. Uh, I, I think it's healthy for kids to, to play and compete. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Sometimes the residual effect of, of playing is you get a scholarship. Yeah. Not very often now. <laughs> that that's not why we have high school sport. That that's, that that's not why we have it the hard truth there you have it, it the hard truth gang yeah <laughs> uh, but unfortunately there there are people out there both parents and uh the the instructors the club coaches who are going to sell that as i can get you that scholarship that spot on a team um not why we have high school sport not why we have youth sport yeah, it's true. Not in our mission statement. It's true. That's yeah, true. Yeah. So, 
um, so Wade, I, w- I want to circle back real quick, Wade, for what Mike just said about the soccer player. So are we seeing that this you've, you've, you've kind of started and Dave, you'll in a moment, tell me about the actual project, right? But Wade, do we, do we need to look at this at a higher level? Do we need to look at this at a national federation level? Because the sport he spoke about is the one that everyone has spoken about for however long, right? It being, well, we have to pull them out of the high school and get them doing club, right? And it doesn't seem to be the same case with other sports. So do you see this as being more of a, we can we have to start at this local regional level and maybe this will spread? Well, we need everyone at the table for sure. Uh, national governing bodies. Um, at the end of the day, it's people, right? It's not U.S. soccer. It's not Major League Baseball. It's not Mooresville. It's people. It's parents. It's these. Are, it, you know, we're the ones who are shaping these experiences for our kids and our communities um, as as officials and parents and uh, coaches and administrators and support and. So definitely the more um, the more people we can have at the table having these conversations about really, you know, what what is the purpose of this experience for kids? And if we keep, I know I mean, we're not the first people to, to, you know, talk about it this way, but we're trying to, to bring people together. So part of what this group is doing, and David will speak to it, is, you know, be, be a connector get people talking to each other, collaborating. There's a lot of information I mean, we have research on youth development, youth sport and talent development and how to build, if, if you, your goal is to, you know, U.S. soccer, their goal is bigger than a national team. They, they want lots of people engaged in soccer. They want fans of soccer. They want officials. They want people participating. So, they it's in their best interest nba nfl nhl it's in their best interest to have as many people engaged in their sport as long as possible though they're future fans right that's the the foundation of their their business in a sense um so it's in their best interest and they know this but they're all different in their approach to to coming around to realizing this and activating it and, and doing something about it they they know that they need to have healthy youth sport experiences and as many kids and families as possible engage in those experiences as long as possible so but <laughs> that's another podcast if you want to go <laughs> deep on talent development and you know if the stream is we need to build a great olympic team or a national team what's the best path for that and and there's that's a a bit of a different conversation i think our focus with this group and the work that we're doing is as many kids involved in as many different activities as long as possible yeah i was kind of looking for that answer a little bit because i kind of figured that but it just i just found it fascinating that the one the one sport that mike brought up was the one that people have talked about for years right as being the one where well, all of a sudden the top soccer player in the town is no longer playing for that town's high school because he's now all of a sudden doing something or she's doing something out, you know, out with a club and it's national well, I'll level. i share this one, one little piece of research, Jeff, with you. So 
it's a misconception that early specialization increases your chances of becoming an elite athlete or being great at something. Not We have research in sport across sports around the world, but we also see it in, uh, there was a great book that came out not too long ago called Range. David Epstein wrote this book and kind of took it to the masses, but you know, it's the age of the generalist. <laughs> so you, with the research on athlete development, we see that the, the, the kids that like, are you, our women's uh, soccer team won back-to-back world cups, right? Uh, they're in the world cup again, right now. That's, you know, getting ready for that down in New Zealand, Australia. So they've had a lot of success as, as much as you could possibly have really Olympic gold medals, world cups, but across the board when you look at the profile of those athletes who play on those teams that national team they play they're multi-sport athletes they they were playing two and three sports in high school most of them i don't know the current roster but historically that's what it looked like so this misconception that the earlier you can specialize the better and that kid's got to be doing year-round soccer at six years old that's not the kid who makes the national team because they're having ACL surgery at 12 and they're done soccer. It's the kid who's playing a basketball season, a soccer season, a swim season, and you know, you're around like Mike talked about, get exposure to different coaching, different groups of kids, you learn leadership skills, you learn resilience. It's not always about you because you're not the star on every team. And th- those are the kids who make the national teams. Yeah, that's I, I totally agree with that. I'm I'm totally 100% on board with that. Now, Dave, what did you guys do? So this collaborative effort that of this collaborative effort for change, as we've now dubbed it, right, Wade? Um, this collaborative effort for change, as opposed to being just research, right? What exactly did you guys do? And you've come up with a report that I saw that you shared with me. Um, tell us a little bit about what what did you guys do? Yeah, so the ultimately the Center for Sports Transformation is super focused on building local sports leadership capacity to create healthy sport communities. So everything that I'll talk about here over the next five to seven minutes about what we actually did uh, in Mooresville will come back to that uh, building local sports leadership capacity to create healthy sport community. So the first thing that we had to do was really go in and, um, well, A, we had to be invited in uh, by Mike. So that was uh, phenomenal. The community was very welcoming to uh, the project team, including me and some students from IUPUI. Um, But the first thing we really needed to do was understand Mooresville. So we did um, 30 uh, different uh, interviews. We went out to Mooresville, I think, six different times to have different sit-down one-on-one interviews or lunch meetings and really got to know um, everybody in the community across, you know, educational administration, the high school athletic department, all of the leaders and directors of the community youth sport organizations, um, business leaders, um, some, you know, town council members, economic development directors, just to kind of um, really get that sense of Mooresville uh, as a whole that we were able to kind of synthesize that. We presented a little report, just a little SWOT analysis back to Mike, just to make sure that we were on point and on target with what we were hearing. And it, um, you know, aligned with the things that Mike wanted to accomplish in terms of um, overcoming the weaknesses and accentuating uh, the opportunities that um, we really felt like um, 
existed. And so then the the approach that we really brought to building this local sports leadership capacity, I would say, um, was this was not us coming in saying, here is how you do youth sports, Mooresville. We are the experts at the university or at the center, and here's how you need to be doing everything. Um, the only thing that we really brought to the table in terms of this is how you were going to do it was essentially um, really activating this idea of a community of practice. So we looked at all of those people that we interviewed and those groups that I just mentioned, and we really put that group of 15 to 20 people into a community of practice where they could share best practices with each other. Um, but then also my job was then really to be the facilitator. So we really set up four different facilitation kind of design thinking innovation sessions to let um, these uh, members of the community of practice and youth sports leaders in Mooresville really uncover what it was that they want to accomplish, like really call out what their dream uh, really is as a community with youth sports and then figure out what they wanted to do about it. Um, so my job, you know, from the university side of it was really just to be the facilitator and, and, and really, I guess, ask questions that no one's really asked the group before. It got them talking about things that they've never talked about before. And Mike, I think um, in the very last session as a wrap up, I think you actually told the group, he's like, these, like, these guys had us talking about things that we never would have talked about uh, probably um, on our own if it was just up to us. So you know, we did some other, so we had four 90 minute sessions was the main intervention. And then we also provided some gift cards to a local coffee shop for people to get together in between the sessions to have additional um, new conversations that they wouldn't have otherwise uh, had. So just very briefly, our first session, we called the discovery session. That was really to have the group co-create like a, a vision or a values framework that really set out like, hey, this is really, this is our dream and our vision for what use the shared youth sports experience in Mooresville um, is gonna be. Um, the second session, we um, had them co-create experiences that would align with that vision. Like, what are the experiences we wanna have families and kids to have in order to achieve that dream? And so it was actually, we use some design thinking tools here like empathy mapping and journey mapping um where we looked at okay here's the journey map of what people go through um you know before the season during the season and at the end of the season um and then essentially asking um the community of practice how do we want people to feel how do we want uh, athletes parents coaches um sports directors how do we want people to feel in those moments and so we actually have this really cool like four by eight grid or whatever of all these different moments um, and how if we were to empathize with the perfect moment, like what would that look like? And then once we had those called out, we were really able to move into session three where we were able to frame up uh, six um, kind of focus areas of what we call how might we questions in design thinking. So like one um, you know thing that we had uncovered through these first two meetings was that there were challenges in you know, awareness about registration or that a sport existed. So we had questions like, um, how might we reimagine how we get the word out to ensure all families feel informed with timely and accurate information on youth sports in Mooresville? So um, there was empathy there, right? Like we wanted to make sure that families felt informed. So it was one of the things we had taken from session two that was on the empathy journey map. We want people to feel informed. So we translated that down into 
um, how might we question? And then that third session, we had um, six different areas. It was like awareness, collaboration and alignment, uh, welcoming, um, increasing participation, athlete development, and then coaching. Each of those had how might we questions, and we spent 90 minutes and people brainstormed their uh, brainstormed their ideas, and they um, you know build off of each other's ideas. We rotated them around in a uh, uh, what do we call that way? The World Cafe method where everybody got to touch each board. They got to do it with different people. We had cards where they were moving around the room to mix people up. So it was a very intentional design to pull out the best thinking from this um, very creative group of people that frankly, probably when they walked into the room in the first meeting, I'm not sure many of them would have thought of themselves as creative people and use sports, but just the energy and vibe that we're able to create with these fast paced facilitations uh, got people to a point where they were putting up really, really good um, ideas. And then our job then as the project team in between these meetings was really to synthesize what we were hearing and then package it back up for the group. So in 90 minutes, that's just enough time for everybody to get their notes up on the board and maybe kind of group them into clusters. But then Wade and Kyle Mitchell and my graduate assistant and another some a few other people on our project team, like we spent, I mean, we were spending 12 to 15 hours of time to prepare for that next 90 minute session. And so the last session then um, we called the destiny session. And that was really all about, okay, here's what you're saying um, that you want to do. How do we put that into an action plan? And so we had a simple little template um, where they called out action plans and a timeline. Um, and um, those things fell into uh, things to improve marketing and awareness, alignment and collaboration, and then coaching. Some of those had short-term wins, long-term wins. We looked at different time horizons. Uh, but at the end of the day, out of that, there was energy to continue this work. Um, we had a fifth session um, where we were able to um, have a leader emerge as the leader of the community of practice. Uh, we had, I think, 15 out of 16 people say that they were very excited uh, to continue to work with the group. We set another meeting, which is here. And this work is never done, right? So like, you wanna be at a point where you tell this awesome story with all these wins, but like, I just learned a whole bunch of stuff, Mike, on a call an hour ago that we need to talk about after this podcast, right? So like, <laughs> the work the work is never done. It's always ongoing, um, but I really believe in this community of practice model where we're getting people working together um, that had never worked together uh, in this way before. They've established a, a dream uh, something that they want to accomplish. And now they've got specific action items um, that they can start uh, tackling. And, and the Center for Sports Transformation, our vision then is we want these activations happening all over the state and or all over the country. And at some point, there is a network of people, another community of practice to tap into are all these other communities that are engaging uh, in this work. So, you know, we need to, as a Center for Sports Transformation, there's a whole bunch of, you know, the little curriculum education and training that we need to build. We need to have other engaging with other communities and then connecting them uh, together because, you know, you know, people are very, um, you know, I've experienced this trying to do some youth sports leadership stuff. You could sense this from talking to people and people, it's very easily get very isolated very quickly um, into your own silo, into your own sport, into your own community. And it's like, we've got all these people trying to solve these exact same problems when we could, or, or overcome the same challenges 
when it would be a lot easier to have a place where best practices are shared and learn from each other. And that's really the spirit of any sort of community of um, community of practice. And then just the last thing I would say is we, you know, we've applied this in this community youth sports setting, but, you know, the principles uh, that we're bringing into play here, and we don't need to go into the weeds of all the different, like, you know, I think we've done a really good job of like being rooted in the research and having um, models around long-term program development, appreciative inquiry, design thinking, um, you know, we've got these things, but like when we go and interact with the community, like we're not necessarily using those terms, right? Like we're letting people, you know, answer these questions that we're asking and we're gonna ultimately make sure that the stuff they're talking about aligns with these key principles, but it's kind of just hidden um, in the background. So anyway, the work we're doing, it can be applied in a variety of different settings, right? Like this very same work could be happening you know, in a, so in a, in a in a club sports model, in a club sports team, right? Uh, I, I could go take this out to a travel baseball program uh, tomorrow and make it um, make it a healthier experience for all, which desperately uh, needs to happen. So it's not about necessarily pitting, you know, rec base versus club base, but ultimately um, the the entry point, the opportunity space that we had through Mike was to do this. Um, connecting these uh, youth programs together, but then also alignment to then creating this one youth sports experience that's consistent from, you know, prep K bumblebee soccer games all the way up through winning state championships as a high schooler. Right. So, um, and I think, and I, I, what I saw from the community of practice and the youth sports leaders was a great level of appreciation for kind of being included by the high school. Right. And, um, yeah, the level of, you know, effort and engagement that Mike and his team was willing to, you know, put down into um, the youth sports. And we were there to kind of, you know, bridge the gap and run the facilitation. So I think it's, a, as a professor, you know, it's great to do this kind of stuff in the classroom. I love it, uh, but really getting to go out and do it uh, in the real world with real people, <laughs> uh, you know, in a, a real world environment was just really uh, neat and hopefully have an opportunity to do some more of it. Yeah, I would love to see more of this, to be completely honest with you. I hope you guys keep going with this and we can see more more additional towns decide to jump on jump on the train here. So, But I appreciate all your guys' time here today. I love to hear all of this stuff. I love to hear everything. Mike, I look forward to hopefully seeing you uh, when, we, when we come to Mooresville in a couple of weeks, and I'll be looking forward to the hospitality. Um, Wade, it was great to see you. Um, awesome. I love talking about this stuff with all you guys. Dave, great explanation on what you guys did. And I'm hoping to hear more about this, and I hope to see more expansion of this. So I hope we bring you guys back at some point, right? So thank you again for coming on the podcast, and hopefully I'll be talking with you guys again very soon. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Sports Innovation Podcast presented by the IUPUI Sports Innovation Institute. You can check out the research conducted by the SII, get more information on the Sports Innovation Journal, and check out the research conducted by some of our students and much, much more by going to our website at sii.iupui.edu. Subscribe for the latest episodes, and thank you for listening to the Sports Innovation Podcast.